Last weekend, we kicked off a brand new message series entitled Psalm 23. Not really original, but that's what the scripture is. And so we want to continue in Psalm 23. So if you have your Bibles, you can open your Bibles. Some of you say, well, I have my Bible or my phone, but I really don't even need to look it up because I know Psalm 23 by heart. And that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do a message series on it, because sometimes we get so used to something that it loses its power in our life. And so what we want to do over these three weeks is to rediscover the truth of Psalm 23, that it's not just something that we read at a funeral service, but it's something that should guide our lives in our everyday walk with Jesus. So I'm going to put Psalm 23, 1 through 3 on the screen, and uh, would you read that out loud with me this morning? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, last week, we discovered that the Lord is David's shepherd. He is our shepherd. We see that in an incredibly magnified way in Jesus himself. And what we discovered about the shepherd is that he wants to guide us and be with us and direct us in our everyday lives, especially when you and I are going through hard times. And so one of my favorite parts of Psalm 23 is when it pivots from everyday life in the sense of he wanting to bring us near to him in different ways, but to really show how he jumps into and guides us in and through the valley. And so here's verse four, and I'll read this for us. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Those two words, even though, are comforting. Because what David is saying here is that we should expect to go through hard times. It's not an if we will walk through the shadow of the valley of death, but even though, even when, even though I will go through this, I can be sure that God is with me. Jesus said it the same way. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, I will overcome the world. Now, we know the truth that he is with us. He will overcome the world. But when you and I are going through a really dark valley, it's very lonely. It's very hard. It feels hopeless. And when David is talking about this valley of the shadow of death, here's what that means. He's talking about this death-like shadow, this deep shadow, this black gloom, deep, thick darkness. Doesn't it feel that way? When you're going through a difficult time, whatever that is, it just feels dark and gloomy. This shadow, there's no light. It's hard to see how we're ever going to get out of this valley. And I know for some of us here, we are going through difficult valleys as we speak. Here's just a few examples that I wonder represent this room, and I know I could probably spend the rest of my time talking about the different valleys, but I think this sums up some of them at least. For, for instance, some of us are going through a relational rift, whether with a spouse or one of our children or someone at work, and man, it feels like when there is a relationship struggle or when you break fellowship with someone that you love, it feels like death, a death to a relationship. Or maybe for you, it's this unbearable loneliness. 
I don't think we talk enough about depression and anxiety and mental health and some of the things that go through that. And it oftentimes makes us feel lonely, makes us feel like everybody else is okay. They have community, they have a spouse, they have all of these friends. And yet here I am and I just feel so down, so depressed, so hurting. Talk about a valley. Or for others of us, it's an illness or a disease. I just told you about Pastor Todd at the beginning of our service and walking through this valley with Todd and his wife Lisa and seeing what Carter has been going through has just been one of the darkest things that I've ever witnessed in my life. And I know that his valley was not expected, but they were plunged into it. And it felt like, especially at the time and still even this week, it feels like there's no hope. Maybe you feel the same way. With a diagnosis you've received, an impending diagnosis, someone in your family or a friend walking through cancer, you know how dark that can be. Or financial hardship, especially right now with inflation and all of the unknown that comes with our economy. When something shifts in our job or we, don't, we look at the bank account and it continues to be drained but not much is going back in, that is a scary place to be. Or one that I don't think we talk enough about is spiritual warfare. We have an enemy that prowls around like a lion. And the last time I've watched a lion go after its prey, it's not nice about it. (laughs) He tears it apart. And there's some of us trying to follow Jesus and doing the right thing and obeying scripture and praying and, and all of the things that comes with following Jesus, but you feel like this lion, this enemy is just ripping you apart and the spiritual warfare is so dark, it even makes you question your relationship with God. What a valley. About a week and a half ago, kind of on two weeks, I was blindsided by something I didn't see coming, and it plunged me deep into a valley. I'm telling you, I didn't sleep for days. I didn't know how to reconcile relations. There was just so many things, and I was like, wow, and I'm still trying to come out of that. And I need to know that my God is not going to leave me, that he's not going to forsake me. And you see, that's the good news of being in a valley. And you say, well, wait a minute. That's not really exciting to go through pain, to go through hardship. I agree with you. But when we look at it, it seems dark. It seems like this shadow just looms over our life and it follows us everywhere we go. But if there's a shadow, what does that mean? There's a light. There's something blocking that right now. This image helps me. I'm not the smartest person in the world, but here's a light source, right? There's an object and there's the shadow. The shadow on the surface is the opposite side of the light, which means there is light. There's just something blocking it and that shadow's casting over us, but it doesn't mean there's no light. It just means something is in the way of that light. And for me, through the valley that I'm going through or the valley that you're going through, knowing that the light is there, though it may be blocked or obstructed by something, it's still there. He's still with you in the darkness. That's why I love it says, even though, even when I walk through the valley of shadow, I will fear no evil. Why don't I have to fear evil? Why do I have to know that this isn't going to have to consume me in the end? How do I know that evil doesn't win? You are with me. Did you notice? It's subtle. 
But did you notice that the whole time, David is talking about the Lord. But in this instance, he talks to the Lord. He understands theology. He understands that God is his shepherd. But in the moment where he needs him the most, instead of talking just about God, what does he do? He goes to God. You are with me. This isn't an abstract thing where I just learn about in church on Sunday and then I go back to my normal life. No, no, you, God, you are with me. The light is there. It may be blocked by a circumstance. It may be blocked by a situation. It may be blocked by a relational strife, but he is there with me. I love what Lloyd Stilley says. He says, we're more prone to talk about God when we are in the green pastures and more prone to talk to God when we're in the dangerous, than we're dangerous ravine. But in the light, we are prone to wander off in pursuit of greener grass. But in the dark, we hug to his knee. I don't like pain. I don't want to go through the valley. I am very content with green pastures and still waters. But I can't begin to tell you over these last couple weeks that I have been in my own valley how Psalm 34, penned by David, is so true when he says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. It doesn't mean that God isn't there when we're going through good things, but he's particularly there. His presence is known. We can talk directly to him. He is in our midst, even if the shadow looms. He is right there. And I have learned so much about how I have gone through life in my own strength, that when I am going through the pain and God is all I have and he shows me that he's all I need, there is something profound. There is some growth that you cannot have unless you're in the valley. So if you're in the valley right now, know that not only is he with you, he is going to do something in your walk with Jesus that he couldn't do and wouldn't do unless he allowed you to go through what you're going through. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that I wish I could just take it away. And eventually the Lord will, someday, somehow. But in this moment, don't waste it. Don't waste your suffering. Don't wish away the darkness. Instead, draw near to God, for he is all that we need. He is right there with us. David, he goes on to give us a specific way he does that. He says, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And then it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the shepherd, when he was tending to his sheep, oftentimes had a staff. Sometimes um, people think it could have been a rod and a staff. It could have been just a staff with a rod on the other side. It doesn't matter. But when you see a shepherd, you see that he has something. And he uses that for the protection and the comfort of his sheep. And what we realize is this, the rod, it's for protection. It's so that if another stray animal or a threat comes into, into his sheep, he can use it to keep it away. Or the rod was also used to knock some sense into the sheep. Like, hey, stop hurting yourself. Stop hurting each other. And he would use that rod to separate them or make sure he doesn't hurt himself. 
And I thought about that for ourselves and how God can use the rod in our lives. Sometimes he uses that rod to keep other people away. Sometimes he uses the rod to take people out of our lives, even though we love them and we care for them. Sometimes they're toxic or we're dependent on them and God cares too much about us to do that or to allow that to happen. So if he's taking a rod to some people in your life, maybe he's doing it out of protection to keep you safe. He also uses the rod for us. The Lord tells us that he disciplines those that he loves. During this dark valley, God has shined a bright light on some sin in my life, some things that I didn't even know were there, that if I weren't going through the valley, and if he wasn't willing to prod me and maybe hit me upside the head with a rod, that what he's saying is, Eric, I'm protecting you from you. I'm protecting you for others. I'm protecting you so that you can grow in me. And sometimes the rod hurts, but it's always beneficial, just like the shepherd would do for his sheep. So how is God using that rod in your life? Who is he keeping away that you're wanting him to draw near to you? What is he doing to hit you upside the head? And he has to do that so you can become more like Christ. He does that to protect us. But he doesn't just beat us up. He also uses the staff. It's support and care. Part of that is he would use the staff to gently tap the sheep on its head to show that he is still there and that he cares. I just love that image of something that supports, something that cares for the sheep to know that no matter what they're going through, the shepherd is there. And one of the things that I was thinking of is, how does God do that for me? How does he do that for you? And I think one of the greatest ways that he taps us on the head with support and care is literally the support structure that he gives us in our life. You probably have some friends or some family, or honestly, I would hope our church family to be there for you when you are going through a valley moment, when you feel like there's no light, that he will use the support, his literal support that he's created, relationships, to be with you. This past, two weeks ago, when some things happened in my life and I was going through this valley, I was with my best friend and we were in a meeting and after that, he's texted me in the middle of the meeting and I'm like, you can't do that. And he's just like, I'm coming over, I don't care what you say. And I'm like, well, I gotta go put kids to bed. He goes, I'll wait in my truck, I don't care. I'm going to be with you. I want to listen, I want to encourage. And I was so supported by that and I could tell it wasn't just him, it was God through him. There are people in your life that when you're going through a hard time, so many times we're prideful and we say we don't need help, but that's God's way of supporting you. Let people in. Allow them to listen. Allow them to invite you over to their house. Allow them to bear your burdens. That's what the family of Jesus gets to do for one another. And if I didn't have my friends, if I didn't have our elders, if I didn't have our family, if I didn't have you, I don't know where I would be. And are you being that for others? So often we get so busy in our lives, or so stuck on our screens, or so consumed with ourselves that the Lord wants to use you as a support, as a staff in someone else's life. But because we're so consumed with ourselves and with our own lives, we are not there for other people. And there is someone in your life that may need you and your gifts and your abilities, and God wants to use you. Are you available? 
There are people going through valleys right now, even though you may not be. How are they going to walk through it if they don't see God's light? But maybe it's you that can be a reflection of that light. Maybe it's going to be me. The Lord wants to lead us in this valley, and he will do so sometimes harshly, but always for our good. And other times, he brings people along, and you as well, to help others. Uh, Again, he says this, you prepare a table for me. David says, the Lord is not just our shepherd. At this point, David reflects upon God's character, and he says he's also a gracious host. There's this imagery of this feast, a feast of food, a feast of fellowship. And the Lord, as the shepherd and as the host, invites David to this table in the midst of all that he is going through, in the midst of being pursued by enemies. If you know anything about David, he always had enemies. You could see that in in the writings of his life, and then you could also see that as he writes these poetry this amazing reflections to God about his life, and he's talking about people literally want to kill him or want to take him out or even just ruin his reputation. And the Lord says, I want to invite you to a feast. I want to be the gracious host. And the interesting thing in the ancient Near Eastern, uh, ancient Near Eastern times, hosts were obligated to protect their visitors at all costs. So when David pulls up to the table and there's this feast before him, not only Can he just relax in the presence of God? He also knows that God's going to protect him from these enemies. And that's the host that invites you and I to the table as well. I don't know who is against you right now. I don't know what the enemy is, whether it's a person or the enemy. But there is a feast and there is a spot at God's table. He is inviting you to rest. He is inviting you to relax. He's inviting you to know that he will protect you at all costs because that is who our God is. I love the way that Stephen Lawson puts it. He says, the word prepare here means to arrange, to set in order, to set in place, and to ordain. Here, God is understood to be setting the table before David and putting everything in its right place. The dishes are perfectly positioned, the drink is poured, and the meal is cooked and served. Every detail has been given the strictest attention. Nothing David could possibly want has been overlooked and omitted. What are some of those things that you want to see at the, at, at the table What are those things that God is preparing for you? You have to take a seat at that table. He's inviting you in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of an enemy or someone else pursuing you. He wants to give you hope and his grace. Here's just a couple of tables that I was thinking of this week. Sometimes the table is just spending time in God's word. I'm not talking about just reading it really quickly and then saying amen and go, but to to fellowship with God. To not speak, but to listen. To hear his voice. And so many people want to know, how do I hear God's voice? Because he hasn't used a a bullhorn from uh, heaven lately. And I said, no, he wants to speak through his word. His word is his voice. If you ever want to know what God has to say about your life, and you're not in God's word, I can promise you that oftentimes you are going to make God say what you want to say. But if you want to hear what God has to say and you want to hear how he will protect you and how he invites you to the table, spend time in his word. It's a feast worth feasting upon. 
Or maybe for you, the table is crying out to God in worship. Even just this morning, like these aren't just songs that we sing because we want to entertain. No, these are songs that bring us in the presence of God. And when I'm in the presence of God, I know whatever evil and whatever enemy is around me, it can't touch me because I am his and he is mine. Whether that's in the car or at your home or whether it's here, put on a song of worship and glorify God because when we're in his presence, nothing can touch us even the darkest of valleys. Sometimes the table is an honest conversation with a close friend. That's support. That's staff. That's somebody that wants to tell you good things or someone that tells you hard things because a wound from a friend can be trusted. Have that conversation. Maybe it's at that table that the Lord will show you something incredible. Or maybe it's a walk in his creation or an afternoon nap. Those are very, very spiritual things. A nap is one of the most spiritual things you can do. Remember we looked last week? Where David says, I will go to sleep and I will rest. Why? Because when we're sleeping, we can't control anything or do anything about it, can we? But God can and he will. That could be a feast. And so the next time you want to take a nap and your kids or grandkids are not letting you, you just say, I learned in church that that's part of resting in God and I need to obey Jesus, okay? What table has he set before you that maybe the chair has sat empty because we're too busy or too consumed or we're fearing to sit at the table? What is he inviting you to? He then says that he will anoint our heads with oil my cup overflows. Oftentimes when travelers were walking, had to walk to their destination back then, they were just tired, they were hot, they were sweaty, and oftentimes a host would pour oil over their heads to, one, make the stench go away because they just couldn't jump in the shower, but two, it was refreshing It was just refreshing to know that they walked this whole way and now they're here with the host and the host just blesses them with this refreshing oil to welcome them in. Or some think that this is actually David getting ready to be king. And this oil that is poured over his head is a representation of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that would lead David as king. And what's so amazing about either interpretation, they both work Because what the oil represents is refreshment, God's spirit, God's presence. And what I love about it, Paul says, or Paul, David, Paul would say it too, by the way, but David says, when he anoints my head with oil, when when I'm in his presence, when I'm with my Savior at the table in the darkest of valleys, my cup overflows. And I don't have to explain to you that if I'm pouring a drink and I don't stop, what's going to happen? It's going to overflow. It can't contain it. So too is the Lord telling us, even in the darkest of valleys, even in the shadow of the valley of death, that his spirit wants to be in you so it comes out of you. It can be overwhelming. It can be all-consuming. And he promises that he is enough. That's why earlier in the psalm he says, I will not want because all that I need is God himself. And when God is all that we need, especially in the valley, your cup will overflow. I was talking to a friend recently and going through this valley and we, we were sitting there and I was actually standing with Pastor Todd and having this conversation. And I'm just listening and 
I'm actually standing still, which I never do, ever. And the person says to me, Eric, I know what you're going through. I'm so sorry. And I said, thank you. And she says, but I cannot believe how at peace you are. And she probably noticed I'm not jittery. And I said, you're right. I've been at peace this whole time. It's so interesting that when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we think we have to fear because that's just what we've known. And we feel like we have to worry because that's what the world tells us to do. But at that moment, I had peace, peace overflowing, not a peace that I manufactured. Because if you could see what's inside of me, it wasn't always there. But the Spirit promises a peace when you're going through the valley, a peace that will overflow if you allow God to shepherd you and to take your rightful position at his table. So as we close our time together, I just want to ask two simple questions to reflect on. And I'm going to invite the worship team out just to play underneath, and then we're going to end with a song and then taking communion. And the first question that I want you to ask yourself is, what are you fearing? What is that thing that is causing you to stay up late at night or that thing that has plunged you in a deep valley? You're afraid of what the outcome may be. It could be a little thing. It could be a major thing. When I was reflecting on this psalm, even last night, preparing and praying for this morning, the Lord showed me this. I thought, this is interesting. If I read Psalm 23, verse 4, and I stopped, it would say this, I will fear. A lot of us just stop there. I will fear. Because that's what I'm conditioned to do. But we can say with the psalmist, I will fear no evil. Because you are with me. What are you fearing? And how can you invite God into the picture? The light's there. It's just blocking what's going on. But how can you invite him in? What is his support to you? And then second thing is, have you sat at his table? First of all, if you don't know Jesus, he is inviting you to the table of salvation. Salvation is simply saying, Jesus, I want to follow you so I don't have to follow the world or I don't have to follow myself anymore because both are taking me in directions I don't want to go. I want to sit at your table and rest spiritually. I want to know that when I die someday, I will rest eternally. That's a seat that has your name on it if you have not said yes to following Jesus. And I want to talk to you about that this morning. This isn't a sales pitch. This is a promise, a promise of rest. But what other table has God set before you? And if you're thinking, I don't really know, well, how about the table of communion? Remember when Jesus shared his last meal with his disciples and he said, hey, I'm not going to be with you. And he's not just talking to the disciples, he's talking to us. I'm not going to be presently with you anymore, but let me tell you, you can remember me. You can come to my table and remember what I did on the cross and remember what I did through the resurrection. And I want to sit at that table with you this morning to realize that I don't have to fear no evil because you are with me and that my cup can overflow because of that. So if you don't have communion, Richard's in the back. All you have to do is raise your hand. He'll get it for you. And 
I want this to be a moment between you and Jesus. The worship team's gonna lead you in a song that is reminiscent of Psalm 23. And when you're ready, I want you to take communion, but hear these instructions, because if not, you will be frustrated. At the top, there's just a little uh, plastic tab here. You pull that off, and so when you're ready, not yet, this little metal part right here, if you pull up on it, it won't work. You have to push down like this, and then push back up. You'll feel the tab break. But when you're ready, the Lord has a seat for you. As God is leading you to his table right now in worship, take communion when you're ready, and then Spencer will close us.